This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's halftime of the Eastern Conference semifinals, and the New York Red Bulls have a 1-0 lead. Hi, everyone. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin and Eric Giacometti here with you tonight at halftime of New York's playoff series with D.C. United. Of course, the Red Bulls go down to RFK, which the South Ward almost crumbled to the ground, mind you. Uh, 700 traveling fans uh, made a tremendous amount of ruckus and almost collapsed the upper deck. Uh, Dax McCarty getting on the end of a Sasha Kleschen free kick with the header, a one nothing win. Of course, it wasn't all peaches and cream. New York loses Damian Paranel uh, to injury, and Paranel may not be back again for the playoffs. Tonight on Seeing Red, Eric and I will go inside the Red Bulls' one nothing win. We'll preview what we hope to expect Sunday at 3 p.m. at Red Bull Arena in the home leg. We'll talk to Brian Lewis of the New York Post, and we'll answer some emails. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, I'm reeling a little bit from that that Mets loss, so a little a little hurt, but you know we move on, we go forward. We're uh, we're both we're both Mets fans uh, here on Seeing Red, and uh, pretty devastating. I think the Red Bulls were the only New York team to win this weekend. I don't know, or yesterday. I don't know if uh, how the Rangers or Islanders or Devils did, but it was an ugly sports day in general, except for the Red Bulls who march into. To RFK Stadium and emerge uh, yeah, with a satisfying one nothing victory to kick off the two-game playoff series. New York outshooting DC United 18-9 to and 9 nothing with shots on goal. I don't think I've ever seen a match where one team did not put a single shot on target, Eric. Yeah, that was... Uh... A bit shocking. I mean, although this is a team that, that has known to, uh, I, I believe it was against Montreal at one point this year, where they had one shot on goal, scored with that shot on goal, and got away with the three points. So you, you never know with this United team, but they also managed uh, 54.5% uh, of their passes uh, got completed. So what, one of the lowest, I think it was the lowest of the season, lowest since 2010. Is that Christ calling for a job back there? <laughs> it could be. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, but in, in terms in terms of, uh, of the way that match shook out, uh, the Red Bulls, you know, they, they were a little bit on the back foot for the first 15, 20 minutes or so. Uh, DC looking to to kind of get on the front foot and, and hit them in the mouth, uh, quite frankly. But they ran out of gas. It looked like towards the end of the match, and the Red Bulls just took over at that midfield three. Uh, really dominated the play. Uh, they overran Kitchen and, and Halstead. The, the, you know, kind of kind of the way it's been the first three matches the, this season with the four-two-three-one kind of overrunning the four-four-two that DC United runs. And at, at the end of the day, they, they managed to get the road goal. So it'll be interesting to see if that holds up in the return leg. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Of course, there were some big moments, some cards given, some cards not given, and let's let's get into that a little bit. Obviously, in the first half. Uh, Fabian Espindola, wonderful human being, um, and Miazga are running down in the box, and uh, Miazga, eh, you can argue, maybe leaned a little bit. Espindola, rather, is uh, is uh, veteran enough to try and get that card, and he did, in fact, um, you know, pick up a yellow card on the match. Obviously, we have to talk about Ronald Zubar. Let me ask you this: w- Was that a red for you watching it in real time? 
Uh, I got to say, watching in real time, I, I thought red. I mean, just the way that he, he was, it seemed like he was out of control of his body. He exposed his studs. I believe me, I've seen uh, 10, 15 people yelling at me on Twitter, oh, look, he got the ball. Oh, he, he missed the man. If you go in there recklessly as he did, when he, he lunged with, with two feet up, uh, legs extended, studs exposed, like I said, I, I mean, that's endangering the safety of your opponent, which is the definition of a red card. I, I, at the end of the day, you know, the referee gives a yellow. I, I guess I can't argue with it. Uh, it, it, it could go either way. Uh, my first reaction was red, but, you know, he escapes with the yellow. Yeah, I, I think if Hasley doesn't launch himself uh, post-contact 10, 15 feet in the air, obviously it's a little bit of an easier call. I'd have to say as well, I thought it was a, I thought it was a red. Uh, the disciplinary committee will not suspend Zubar anymore. That's been confirmed by tonight's guest, uh, Brian Lewis, earlier this afternoon. So there will be no more punitive punishment for Zubar, which may be the kind of fire that Ben Olsen needs to kind of get his team up and going. Who knows? Uh, and then, of course, we have to talk about Damien Perrinel, who looks to surely be lost for the rest of the, the playoffs um, with a pretty brutal knee injury. And by the way that he was screaming on the field and gestured immediately to the sideline for a sub, I mean, I, I know the scan is not back yet, or, or he may not have had it yet. You may know better than, than, than me, but um, that is not not a pretty sight for Red Bulls fans. Yeah, actually, I just checked in. They don't have anything new to report just yet. I will find out. Uh, tomorrow, that should be when. Um, sorry, Tuesday. I'll find out for yep. you Tuesday afternoon when I'm at training. So we'll see just the extent of of his injury. But like you said, it, it didn't look good. Uh, those injuries where there's no contact tend to be pretty bad. You just saw the way that he he landed awkwardly on his left leg, and uh, yeah. it just it just didn't look pretty. Like you said, writhing in pain. And uh, Marsh mentioned uh, the, you know the fact that I think it was Wednesday uh, in training that. He had picked up a little bit of a knock, or maybe it was Thursday, that he picked up a little of a knock, but he kind of shrugged it off and said, no, he's fine, and then kind of regretted afterwards that maybe I should have been a little more cautious with that. So there's no getting around it. That is a very big loss for this Red Bulls defense. He's been you know, the rock in, in the center of the defense, considering how often Miazga's been away with duty. We all know the problems with Zubar. So uh, it, it very could well be the likes of Carl Wiemet stepping in. Yeah, and Dave uh, Martinez, friend of the show, uh, reported earlier today, that New York is only one four and one when Paranel is not in the roster, and we we tend to think, oh well, Miazga has been so important to this team. Without Miazga, the Red Bulls went three four and one, so nearly a five hundred side without Miazga, but definitely uh, for the worse without Paranel. Uh, and Zubar, of course, as well, picked up a yellow card, which means that uh, God forbid New York well. Obviously, we're all hoping that New York is able to move on to the Eastern Finals, but with a yellow in a game where you know that both Sabario and Espindola are going to be running directly at both Zubar and Miazga, a single yellow to either of those defensive players for the Red Bulls will suspend them for the first leg of the Eastern Conference Finals on the road. And then, as you said, you're looking at Carl Wiemet possibly coming in, possibly Anthony Wallace, who has played very sparingly, coming in. And there's the possibility, yes, back uh, and working his way back to fitness, that Roy Miller may have to come in and play central defense. So this is a Red Bulls team that's had lots of different combinations uh, in central defense during the year, but seemingly either Paranel or Miazga has always been a part of that mix. And... 
if both of them have to, to miss a game coming up uh, in the Eastern Finals should New York move on, it, it will be uh, a serious blow to New York's cup hopes. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of a, a tough place for Marsh to be in with uh... – you know, I said it before that this team has been relatively injury-free throughout most of 2015, you know, save for, of course, Ronald Zubar. Uh, but this team has had, has had a lot of good fortune on the injury front, and then uh, to lose a guy like Perinell, it's a, it's a tough time to do it. Uh, they have a little bit of depth to cope with it, but it's a very important position for them to lose. And, of course, uh, as you said, with with those yellow cards, anything can happen there with uh, two would knocking you out. We all know with uh, Bradley Wright Phillips last year how that can shake out. So it's it's going to be something uh, something to look forward to uh, in, in these next few games because, you know, losing losing pieces this part of the season could be devastating. Of course, when you look at the mirror image of last year's playoff run, you have Bradley Wright Phillips, who also picked up a yellow card in this match for time-wasting late in the game. And we talk about the challenge that Mike Petke had in 2014 when Bradley uh, Bradley's second yellow eliminated him or suspended him for the deciding match in the New England series. And now here's Marsh in a very similar situation with... Bradley, one yellow card away for suspension. And we, there was a very interesting discussion that went on among the, the Seeing Red hosts today. And our good friend Dan Dickinson, of course, who is not here tonight, had mentioned that he almost wouldn't mind having Bradley suspended if a suspension is coming for the road leg of the Eastern Finals. Again, should New York get through? Uh, because it will be so important to have him come and play in a in an Eastern Finals decider, which of course would be at Red Bull Arena. Your your thoughts, Eric, on when to lose Bradley if we must? Yeah, that's uh, a really interesting conversation to have. I mean, because I guess it is a part of the strategy that you couldn't look into, but uh, it's hard to say. Do you do you want to just go in there and you know grab someone's shirt late in the game just to you know expel himself <laughs> from the game? I mean, it's it's just, just in case. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it sounds crazy because it's like, do you do you want to you know? just basically burn that yellow card and say, you know what, I'll take my licks here, or do you want a chance and think that you know, maybe he won't get a yellow card uh, up until MLS Cup should they get that far? So uh, it, it's, it's not an easy decision to make. I don't think that you'll see someone intentionally getting a yellow card. I think they'll just no. play it as it is and you know, just hope that they can you know, be on their best behavior and, and avoid the suspension. But it's definitely something you have to look out for, considering that you know, they have been burned in the past. And if, if you look at uh, the forward court, Bradley Wright Phillips is someone you don't want to miss. He's been a constant up top, yeah. and they don't have too much depth behind him. I mean, Anatole Bong is not even fully fit yet, so and he's been you know kind of the de facto number two striker. Then what do you got to think about? Uh, do we move Mygrella up top? Does Gonzalo Verón start as a striker? And then you know everything kind of gets thrown out of mix because you know BWP has been the guy up top, and he's kind of what's what's a big part of what's made them click this year. So not a guy you want to you want to have out of your lineup. Not a tremendously effective day from Bradley. Sunday at RFK, three shots, one on goal. Felipe actually led all Red Bulls in shots with with four. Grella, all three of his shots on that, including uh, the the ball to uh, Bill Hamid's face in the first half, which obviously you'd like to see Grella score there. But if not scoring, smacking Bill Hamid in the face, I, I think that would have to be a close second. Uh, obviously, D.C. United will be getting Bobby Boswell back. Chris Pontius may or may not be fit to go here. Um, 
again, New York completely dominating all the statistical categories, and we haven't yet talked about Dax McCarty's goal from a great free kick and a great misdirection and stutter step from Sasha Kleschen. Yeah, I mean, ever since uh, Sasha's taken over the set-piece duties, I think he's been uh, really spot-on with, with his corner kicks, with his free-kick delivery. And it, it, like he said after the game, it always seems to be Dax that, that crops up with these big goals off of set-pieces. I mean, one of the tiniest guys on the pitch seems to always have a knack for uh, getting his head on the ball at the, at the right time. I mean, I always think back to uh, that crazy 4-3 match where he uh, latches onto, I think, a Brandon Barklage cross at the very end and snatches a 4-3 win. So uh, a, a huge performance from Dax, uh, not just the goal over all around. I mean, he, he bossed the middle of the park. He helped win a lot of second balls, uh, keep DC from really creating anything going forward. And, uh, you know, he was just terrific on the day. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And credit to Dax for converting his chance. Really, one of a small handful of chances that New York had. I mean, New York was not bombarding Hamid. They certainly had the bulk of the possession. I think it was 57%. 58% all in, which you knew was going to happen given the way that New York plays versus the versus Benny ball. But um, Dax kissing the badge afterwards really, I think, speaks volumes to the way that uh, the captain feels about the team and the team about his captain. So New York again goes in their first ever playoff win at RFK. Uh, again, DC was eleven three and three at home this season, and yes, you definitely got as the match went on uh, the understanding of just how tired DC was after a very very physical and emotionally exhausting uh, knockout ran, round win over uh, New England earlier in the week. That being said, let's wrap it up. Your bull, sir for the win in D.C.? Well, I, I think my bull's pretty obvious, given how I was just gushing about him, you know, two seconds ago. But, I mean, it, it's <laughs> Dax McCarty. I mean, for all those reasons I alluded to, I mean, it's, it's not just the goal, which obviously is vital. I think it was I think it was his first of the season, and they couldn't have come at a better time against his old team. He, he talked about how, you know, he has that fire to play against D.C., given that he was there, and it, it shows in, in every time he suits up against them. So uh, not only the goal, just the way that he was able to, to link up the defense with the attack and stop anything going through the middle. Uh, he clogged up the channels very well along with his you know, midfield partners, uh, Sasha and Felipe. But overall, I think he's, he's the clear man of the match there. Yeah, I, uh, there, it's, uh, there's no disagreement here. Uh, is there anyone else other than Zubar to give the, the uh, cow for the week? I mean, if if you're going to stay on the Red Bull side, it, it has to be yes. Zubar. Yeah. So if if we're if we're staying with the uh, with the New York player, it's it's got to be Zubar. I mean, granted, he's he's thrown into a game. It can be tough to kind of you know feel it out when you're just coming off the bench and you know you're, you're not really into the game. Uh, but to to make a tackle like that when it really wasn't necessary, I think he he could have just uh, stood the guy up, you know, forced him out wide. He wasn't like he was bearing down on goal. Uh, it, it just seemed like a rash challenge to me. In my opinion, lucky to get away with the yellow, but he lives to fight another day. Uh, agreed. Lavash pour vous, Ronald. Can we just talk about? Uh, were you at the match on Saturday on uh, on Sunday, Eric? Were you at our? I was not. They declined to send me down. Okay. Can we talk about the broadcast pairing on ESPN? Oh boy. Now, Glenn Davis has been around American soccer broadcasting for over a decade, and and if you weren't there in the stadium or watching on ESPN, I 
genuinely have respect for the work that Glenn Davis does. He's the um, Houston Dynamo announcer. Glenn Davis's delivery, combined with low low crowd mics throughout the stadium for whatever reason, made the match appear to be taking place in a library. And Davis's uh, sonambulistic voice, look it up, um, was sleep-producing. I mean, there was no energy, there was no emotion, there was, until Dak scored, I think in the 72nd minute, did did Davis raise his voice. And Ale Moreno, who I think is a decent analyst and actually threw in um, some nice insight, uh, just did a disservice to this game, given the import and the history behind it. And I would have, frankly, preferred to even have heard Dave Johnson, who's the DC United uh, regular local broadcaster, call this game, because they really, I mean, it was hard to watch and hard to listen to this game. I don't know if you had any thoughts. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of that. Uh, a lot of people on Twitter agree with you, and I mean, I, I, I guess I would as well. Just I, I don't want to be too critical of it because I know their job is it's not an easy one, but... Oh man, it was it, the deadpan delivery, the monotone voice. There was there was no you know cadence to his voice when you know there's a big build up and play, and that's what you want to see. I mean, you you want to feel like you're a part of the match. You want to feel like you're at the stadium, even when you're at home, just you know ha- sitting at home on your couch. Uh, the, you it was tough to to get into the match when you know the announcers don't feel like they're into it and they don't uh, get excited like like you are when you're watching the match. So. Uh, not not my favorite broadcast. I think we do have uh, a lot of good ones. I think John Strong is great with Fox. Uh, but yep. this one was uh, left a little bit to be desired. Yeah. And I realized that this was not, I guess, ESPN's A game because Adrian Healy and um, Taylor Twellman, I, I don't recall which game, which of the other games that they did um, on the night. But, wow. I mean, this is a 20-year rivalry with passionate fans and lots of strong emotions on both sides. This, this, you know, I, I mean, this isn't uh, Dallas and Seattle, who is a relatively new rivalry in MLS. I mean, I was definitely unhappy about it, but so be it. So, again, 3 o'clock on Sunday, New York will be without um, Damian Perrinell, of course. Uh, Bobby Bosbell will return. New York beat D.C. United 2-0 and 3-0 this season. And again, for those of you who are unsure of how this works, uh, New York has the advantage right now with an away goal. Uh, so in the advantage that the two teams wind up tied, well, I guess I'd, I'd have to do the math. Someone, uh, Steve Fenn, actually produced a nice chart earlier today that showed all the permutations that would get us for extra time. If New York wins the match, obviously they, they are the winner. A low, If it's a scoreless draw, um, of course, New York advances, and uh, on where we go from there. But given the way that D.C. W- quote-unquote attacked this weekend, I'm not quite sure what to, to expect here. Do you have a prediction for Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock at Red Bull Arena, sir? Yeah, I, I believe the, the only outcome that would force extra time would be a, a flip of the 1-0. The so it would have to be just a D.C. 1-0, and then it would go to extra time, because anything other than that, then a way goes come into effect. Right, uh, right, right. But right. I, if I'm going to go prediction, I'm going to say uh, 2-1 New York. I just think... Uh, I think the back line might struggle a little bit, but their their home form has been uh, has been stellar in 2015, and I, I think they they jump all over them. Uh, you know they'll they'll have uh, full rest. I mean, yes, DC will have Boswell back, but 
uh, I think they'll they'll carve out some opportunities and they'll make the most of them this time around. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to call it uh, a 3-0 New York victory. I think New York, New York scores early and often and uh, shuts this out very, very early. And I think it'll hopefully be, knock, knock, uh, a nice uh, a nice afternoon out for the boys. I just think the midfield triangle completely suffocating, completely suffocating DC. The only thing I worry about, again, is Sabrio or Spindola getting into the box, and uh, they're b- both savvy veteran players enough to draw cards. And given the way that the playoffs have gone, it would not surprise me if they were able to nick a PK in this game, but I think New York's going to have more to do it. So when we come back uh, on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to Brian Lewis in the New York Post. It's Seeing Red at BackYield.com. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti, and our very, very good friend who covers soccer in New York for the New York Post. That is Brian Lewis. How are you, Brian? Doing well. How are you guys? Uh, it, you know, we're, we're at halftime of the playoffs in a in what is now a four-game season. Um, talk to us about your general impressions, first of all, of the match in D.C. Uh, typical D.C. Red Bull slash Metro Star game. It was feisty. It was ugly. It was chippy. It took a little bit to settle down. Um, but I think the more mature team won. So that's probably a typical D.C. New York game in this rivalry. Uh Brian, I was just curious what your thoughts are with you know with the way goals being in effect. Do you think the the Red Bulls may have missed a little bit of an opportunity considering they were without uh, DC was without Bobby Boswell to maybe not get a second or a third away goal to really put this tie out of reach? They you, well, you're fair. They probably could have pushed for more. Uh, they certainly seem to have control at points where if they had tried to go forward more and push for it. It was a second goal to be had. But I think, all in all, I think they'll probably be happy to get out of RFK with a, with a one-goal lead. Now, obviously, the, while the, the result ended well for New York, the loss of Damian Paranel cannot be understated in terms of uh, what he has meant for this team, which I think, again, looking back at the end of last season, I think would have been a lot of surprise to Red Bulls fans just how important he's been to the Red Bulls. Does How much of a dent does this make in their, their title chase that, I mean, by and large, with an injury like that, and yes, it's too too soon to know exactly the extent of the damage, but from what it it looked like with his knee uh, massively wrapped, I mean, th- this should take him out of the rest of the playoffs. No, I yeah, I personally I hate playing doctor, uh, and I'm I'm always hesitant to start speculating, but it didn't look good. It certainly wasn't a good look, and I you're right. I can't expect to see him play. This weekend, and frankly, if they get him back at all in the playoffs, that's probably a bonus. You know, that's probably considered a win if he comes back at all. Uh, so you're right, that is a significant loss, and you can't overstate it because he's been that good. Aside from the fact that he's been a huge surprise, he really has been that good. If you if you believe in advanced statistics, uh, and you look. He's been one of the best players in the league in terms of his who scored numbers. 
Um, so frankly, it's a significant loss. It's not one that they can't overcome, but it is a huge dent in what they're trying to get done. And it means that they can't afford uh, any glaring mistakes from Ronald Zubar, and they can't afford uh, any horrible tackles or ill-timed cards from Ronald Zubar either. Now, Brian, I'm just curious what your thoughts are with, with the way that D.C. came out uh, in this first leg. After playing a midweek just to get into the semifinals, they kind of tried to punch the Red Bulls in the mouth real quickly and uh, were on the front foot for about the first 15, 20 minutes. And then, you know, once the game settled down, the Red Bulls kind of took advantage and, and dictated the play from there. How do you see the second leg shaping up with uh, the fact that D.C. now has to go out and get the away goal at Red Bull Arena? Well, I think there'll be some vulnerabilities in the back. I mean, if they're they're going to have to come out, you're right, and they're going to have to come out and push from the beginning. And I think there'll be chances. There weren't that many what I consider to be good 100% chances in this game. Um, but I think you'll see a few on Sunday, and you may see some pretty early on Sunday. It may not it may not take until the 70th minute or even the 65th or the 60th. I mean, I think We'll see some opportunities pretty quickly off the bat, I think. Uh, Brian, I want to I want to talk about uh, Ronald Zubar and obviously his tackle on Hasley. You reported earlier this afternoon, earlier this evening, that MLS has completed its review and will not be taking any more disciplinary action. Uh, curious what your thoughts are uh, a day in the rear view, looking at the tackle, I'm sure, in real time, in slow motion, in black and white, and in green and blue, and in orange and yellow. I mean, was this a red in your eyes, or is this uh, was the yellow a fair uh, call here? I think after looking at it again, it's probably a fair call, but it's I certainly couldn't have had any complaint if that had been read. Not necessarily because it was malice, but frankly it was reckless. And we've seen if you put yourself in that kind of position and allow a referee to make a call, you really have no room to complain if he sees that as a red card. Now it was initially called a yellow, and that's what they stuck with, and that's fine, and I don't think either call would have been egregious. Um, in the end, I think a yellow is probably fair. But frankly, I don't think a red would have been that horrible a call either because it was a, it was a pretty reckless tackle. It was not pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian, now just looking back at the 2013 team, the last team that obviously won the Shield, uh, they flamed out in the first round after you know dominating a good portion of the first leg and then uh, you know, giving up those two goals, coming back and, and falling eventually in the second leg. How do you see this Red Bulls team in 2015? Are they more equipped to, to go further in the playoffs than the 2013 version? Well, I think probably so. For one, this team is a little deeper than that team. Uh, they have more options to go to. And as an example, you're seeing that now. I mean, you're missing a center back and you're bringing in a quality center back. Uh, you had a right back that's been out and you've taken a midfielder and put him in at right back and he's actually performed admirably. They still have attacking options on the bench. Um, whether they see fit to use them, I don't know, but they have them. So I think this team is probably a little deeper, which allows it to overcome misfortunes. And I think this team is probably a little, for lack of a better term, more mature. Now, I know that sounds crazy when you consider 
the age of some of the players that were leading that team in 2013. But I mean from goalie all the way up to striker, this team is a little bit more mature in terms of knowing how to close out games. In terms of from the first guy to the 11th guy, knowing how to finish somebody off, there are more players, I think, on this team that have done that and done it together. Uh, not in other clubs, but have done this in a Red Bull uniform. So I think this team's probably a little bit better equipped for a longer run. Brian, of course, looming, holding on to keeper's legs in the Midwest <laughs> and in uh, French Canada are Didier Drogba and uh, the Impact, who got the job done at home 2-1 to one over Columbus. Um what do you think of that series? Obviously, Montreal on the road is a different club than at home. Is it a foregone conclusion that the impact will hold on? And uh, who, what do you think of possible matchups? Of course, we don't. You know, we don't want to look ahead. Uh, of course, New York did beat and outscore uh, DC five nothing in two wins this season. So, uh, just kind of uh, all right. Let's look ahead a little bit. It's on me, folks. Just a question. Uh, to the Eastern Finals and possible opponent. Uh, you're asking me for a prediction? Or... No, I'm just I'm just kind of asking you uh, well, about what you saw, if you saw the Montreal-Columbus match, right. and uh, maybe who offers a, a bigger challenge. And I mean, I think, uh, not to answer the question for you, of course, but I, I think uh, the general consensus is that Montreal is tougher, I... and obviously with the, the star power and drug, but, you know, something to I think Drogba has been nothing less than stellar. I really do. I'm I'm really impressed watching him. Uh, and not that we didn't know over his long history that he could play, um, but I'm impressed with kind of the intensity that he's brought to it. Because frankly, some guys come into this league with his resume and don't bring that intensity. Um I, I would say, in my mind, they're a prohibitive favorite. They're, they're, I would be surprised if they don't if they don't get by. That's who I would expect to be seeing. And so, uh, any thoughts on the West? First of all, I'm perfectly uh, I'm over the moon about the LA fans who re- really have no idea what to do with themselves. I mean, they are not accustomed to be sitting on the sideline in the uh, in the first week of November, and they're completely undone. Um, any any bets on who might come out of the uh, come out of the West so far? Wow, uh, Dallas. I, uh, yes. Frankly, I mean they are. Despite the fact that they're down a goal, I still, I I'm not going to believe that they're that they're dead until they're gone. I, I think they're I think they're quite good. I think they're quite good, and I, I also, you know, we, we you go back to L.A. Um, and I just I watched. I've watched the way they played, and I, I didn't want to think that they were out until they were. But after watching enough of Gerard over the span of maybe the you know, last two months of the year, and I just watched Dallas, and they're, they're so young, and they're so energetic, and they're so creative. Uh, I just have this hunch that they're going to find a way to get through Seattle. I think at the end, I think the young legs will carry them through. I really don't. All right. Uh, Brian Lewis writes about the New York Red Bulls. 
every day in the wonderful pages of the New York Post. Brian, we'll talk to you as we move along in our uh, four remaining games this season. Anytime. You guys know where to find me. More Seeing Red after this. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti here with you tonight. If the Red Bulls get by D.C. United, they will earn themselves a week off before the Eastern Finals start on the 22nd, and that's because there is a FIFA window in which the United States men's national team will actually play World Cup qualifiers toward the 2018 World Cup in Russia, which is a little nutty, but so be it. It's all good. Let's hope they get there. We have a host of emails. We asked and you answered. You wrote emails to seeingredny at gmail, and, uh, and you wrote some terrific emails, so we're going to get to this right now. Here's Jeff Shalom, friend of the show, that says, Hi, guys. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Nothing makes me happier than watching Ben Olsen cry and whine and lose. I can't wait to see it again on Sunday. That is all. Thanks, Jeff Shalom. Nothing. I like the short and sweet ones. Yeah. Sometimes, nice. sometimes they write novels. Sometimes you know, here's PJ Ewing who wants to know: Do our guys get a bonus if they win MLS Cup? And the answer is yes. There is a cash prize for MLS Cup, like any uh, national sports league championship. I don't know the exact amount. I don't know, uh, Eric, if you know the exact amount that's split among players. But yeah, there is a, I think, a modest financial reward for winning MLS Cup. Yeah, I, I don't know the, the number off the top of my head, but I, I agree. I do, I do know for a fact that they are rewarded in, in some fashion. Yes, yes. Um, here is a, a, a long email by our friend Britt Bird, who is a former prize winner on Seeing Red. And I am going to read quick, and then uh, we'll, we'll have a discussion. Guys, thanks for your continued excellent work. I really enjoyed the recent live show. Thanks so much. That was a lot of fun. My question this week is almost immediately about, quote-unquote, championship banners at Red Bull Arena, and more generally about how we consider success in MLS. I expect that on November 8th, we'll unveil our newest supporter shield banner. I'm, I'm not sure, actually, if it'll be ready by then. It's possible. But should we already have more banners up in the stadium? And if so, which banners should we put up in the future? This year, more than any other, the league seems to be broadcasting the term Western Conference, Eastern Conference, regular season champion. I suspect that part of this is because everyone's realized it's easier to explain the CONCACAF Champions League spot allocation this way. For many other sports, this would be a banner-worthy accomplishment. Most baseball teams put up something whenever they win their division in the regular season or a playoff series, and then certainly if they win the pennant. I believe basketball and hockey teams do roughly the same. However, so far we've been prudent and refrained from enshrining either regular season or postseason conference accomplishments at all. Should this be the case? If not, what already counts as Eastern Conference Championship, the year we topped the conference but didn't get the shield? Or the year we won a conference final but finished fifth? I'm convinced we would already have a conference championship banner for 2008 if it weren't the fact that the banner would have to say Western Conference Champions. I think this speaks to the general confusion of what historically counted as an accomplishment in MLS. Do you think it might be more clear in the future? What, in your view, is a banner-worthy 
accomplishment. I know there's been grumbling on Twitter about how the Red Bulls get little media attention despite being the most consistently winning team in the metro area recently, but this made me realize you wouldn't know about our comparative success by visiting our stadium. Cheers, Britt in Brooklyn. An interesting concept. Of course, for new fans that only know success of this team, it would seem that it would make a ton of success to be banners hanging for Red Bull Arena. For a longtime fan that has had little to cheer about for 20 years until relatively recently, the notion of many banners hanging in the stadium would be a little bit more than a trifle. Do you have an opinion, sir, on banners at Red Bull Arena? I mean, I, for one, am appalled that the Mickey Mouse uh, banner is not up there <laughs> as long with the Emirates Cup. But uh, <laughs> if, in, in, in more serious terms, if, it's, a, it's a good question because uh, that, that 2008 Western Conference Championship banner would look a little strange uh, considering, you know, they are an Eastern team. But back then, with the way that MLS has changed, uh, you know, they went over to the West, went to MLS Cup. In my humble opinion, I think the, a banner should be reserved for something that leads to silverware. So uh, it would be 2013 for the Supporters' Shield, as well as obviously this year. Uh, the 2010 one, you know, they, they were the Eastern Conference regular season champions, but back then I believe it didn't even lead to a Champions League berth. I think back then it was no. the MLS Cup winner, the runner-up, Open Cup winner, and Supporters' Shield winner were the four. Uh, so right. I, I don't think that constitutes uh, a banner in and of itself. So I, I think it would have to be something that leads to uh, at least a silverware in some way. So I, I would I actually would put up the 2008 banner because they, they it did I, I don't know if there's a name for it, but I specifically remember Juan Pablo Angel lifting that that trophy in Real Salt Lake. So <laughs> that I, little tiny it, trophy. Hey, listen, it's silverware. So I I think you got to put that one up, and the other two would be the, the two supporters shield winning seasons. Maybe you could call the banner, which I believe was on a scarf, MLS Cup finalist. Hey, right. That, that would that would be apropos. In 2008, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I think um, if you look at, I, I believe that in Houston and at BVBA Compass Park, if I didn't mangle that, they do have large banners for their MLS Cup championships. I don't know. I mean, this is this isn't basketball and it isn't hockey and it isn't baseball. I remember as a kid collecting like NFL, like NFC East division championship pennants or something like that, but that seemingly had had more meaning then before expanded playoffs, right? I mean, if you finish at the top of a division, uh, top of a conference in MLS, you know, it used to be one of five teams. It was like, hey, okay, terrific, right? And then when they went to 12 clubs in 98, there was a central division in MLS. I don't know. I, I, I We spent a lot of time on this. I know I, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with hardware equals uh, a banner and nothing else, and it's almost uh, amusing that we're even talking about this. But nevertheless, a good question, Britt. Thanks. Here's Colin Rosen who writes, Guys, I'm not positive. I don't think this was shown on TV. I, I'm sure most of us have seen the Instagram post from the Red Bulls. It shows McCarty kissing the badge on his jersey after scoring the only goal of the match. This is not the first time a player kissed the Red Bulls badge. Rafa Marquez did it once, too, and it rubbed me the wrong way. He's always put himself ahead of the club. It never felt real. It actually, I was actually kind of offended to me that he felt the need to kiss the badge of a team he never really cared about. It seemed like a cheap move to get the fans to like him more. And it was a really big check. But with Dax, it was a perfect moment. Scoring against a former team who's now their biggest rival and in a playoff away match. And he didn't sprint to the camera by the corner flag to make sure everyone saw. He wasn't kissing the badge to get attention 
or win some fans over. Dax works harder than everyone else on the field and consistently leads the team to success, and that's where he wins us over. He didn't need to do it, but if there is anyone kissing the team that's worthy, if that makes sense, it's the Ginger Ninja. What's on your opinion on kissing the badge? Am I alone in thinking this is a big deal? Thanks, Mark and Dan. Listen, Dax McCarty is part of the furniture, and as we've talked about, uh, should he come back next year he and stay healthy, he may surpass Mike Petke in terms of being the all-time appearance leader for this club. And that is, uh, that's a tremendous accomplishment when you consider how long the Petke's been here. And I honestly believe, I mean, you know, we talk about what Red Bull ownership means, and we talk about the nature of this club in respect to other MLS clubs and other soccer clubs at different levels of this country. But if you want to talk about a team that believes in its captain, it's certainly this one. And so, I, I, I listen, I thought it was a terrific moment. I thought it was, as uh, as Colin said, it was almost a private moment. It wasn't done in full view, being flaunted by the cameras. It was um, just the notion of his feeling about his club and everything that he's put into it and the players and what and the team and what they mean to him. I thought it was a great moment. Eric, thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, the whole concept of kissing the badge is an interesting one because, you know, they're not all one and the same in terms of how they're received by the fan base. I mean, uh, I think back to the opening of Red Bull Arena in 2010, and I distinctly remember uh, Mike Petke uh, kissing the badge, and I think that was a, a really powerful moment uh, with you know ushering in a new era at Red Bull Arena. But then I think to uh, I think it was 2012 after Dane Richards got traded to Vancouver. I think he was there for a cup of coffee and he, he scored a goal <laughs> and kissed the badge. So it, they, they all hold different weights to them, as you can tell. Uh, yes. But I, I don't think there's any question that. Uh, Dax has this club in his heart. I mean, he he really cares about uh, not only bringing success to this club that is so starved for it, but he cares about the fan base. He identifies with them. Not a New York guy by any means, but he's been here long enough to to understand uh, the plight that these fans feel, and I, I, he he feels almost uh, I think a responsibility uh, to help bring something special to this club. And uh, it, it's very clear. It's evident in the way he leads on the field. It's evident in the way that he interacts with the supporters. That uh, the New York Red Bulls are, are more than just a club to him, and that's that's why I think he's very genuine when he does that. Just to back up my statement about Dax and his tenure here, Mike Petke, 197 all-time appearances for the club in all competitions. Dax is up to 164, and should the Red Bulls advance further in the playoffs, he will be third on that list by the end of the season. So, again, Colin, thanks for the email. Here's Eric Friedlander who says, Dear Mark and Dan and maybe Eric and probably not Dave, I'm concerned that we could get screwed at center back. With Paranel appearing to be out for a while, we're left with one true center back in Carl we met. Hmm. With probable starters Zubar and Miazga both on a yellow, we're running the risk of having two center backs suspended. If one of the two gets a yellow, do you take the one not suspended off to make sure you have two center backs, or do you start we met to make sure you have two center backs left? Eric is away at college, and I think his uh, grammar is not necessarily complete. Interested to hear your thoughts. It's an interesting notion of basically saving Miazga or Zubar by starting We Met on Sunday. You had mentioned earlier in the show you think We Met may get a start in favor of Zubar. Do you stand by that? I, I think it's. I know personally that the Marsh believes uh, a lot in Zubar, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Zubar get the start. I just think for for me personally, I think. 
we met, I mean, he's, he's been called on it at several points in the season and he's been pretty steady. He hasn't, uh, he's not as uh, physically imposing as Zubar by any means, but he hasn't made the big gaffe that we've seen Ronald Zubar make at times <laughs> in the season. So, uh, you know, it's it, his question is, is an interesting one, like like we talked about, uh, with you know taking a yellow card. But I, I think that you can't look too far into the future and say, oh well, we'll save him for another game because you might not be able to fight in another. There's game. no tomorrow, exactly. so you kind of have to. You're not playing with house money. You you need to go out there and and win the next game to advance, survive in advance. So I I, don't, I think it would be presumptuous to think that uh, the Red Bulls are good enough to just you know save their center back. So I think they need to go into the game with obviously it being on their mind. You don't know, have to be cautious and not be rash with our challenges uh, to not pick up that second yellow. But I think that you know taking a guy off you know as a pr- protective measure uh, for suspension I think might be a, a little rash. Our last email of the night is Chris Mulan, who writes, No matter what happens this Sunday, I have to admit, I've been more than impressed this season. I don't think any reasonable person can call the year anything but a huge success, no matter the circumstances at the beginning. Interesting take. Supporter Shield, CONCACAF Champions League qualification, dominating the blue team, Grella and Kamar Lawrence coming out of nowhere, Miazga and Paranel's incredible growth, Bradley, Dax, and Sam all doing very well, and no one on the team slipping tremendously. Fun, exciting soccer to watch, plus 19 goal differential. Caring about the Open Cup. Verona is a DP showing forward thinking and willingness to spend. No matter what happens, it's been a very good year for any MLS team. Then add in the turmoil at the beginning of the year, and we as fans are very lucky. No matter what happens Sunday, let's sing, dance, and cheer this team on. Thanks to such a wonderful year. Let's go Red Bulls. This almost sounds like an email from someone that's expecting a loss, a soul-crushing loss. But I think, uh, I think the point's been taken, and we've talked about this in, in our live call-in last week and all through the season, that um, we, even with or without the yoke of expectation on this team, it's been a tremendous ride. I think we all hope it continues uh, past Sunday. Your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I think you touched on, on all, the, all the points that make this season a success, just you know, even beyond uh, you know, topping the table and winning the Shield, with you know, the way they've approached the season, taking the, cups, oh, the Open Cup seriously, you know, winning their rivalry matches, which is, you know, goes a long way to, to satiating your fan base, and just the, the total integration of, of you know, the youth team. You know, me, and, me and you just spoke about this off-air, with, you know, how, yep. how, how well this, it's all come together in 2015. So I, I think through almost every metric this season has been a success. So any, anything, you know, everything from here on out, I guess you can consider to be gravy, but obviously, you know, the MLS Cup is still very much uh, up there for the, for, the, for the taking. It certainly is. And with a win or a draw, frankly, next week, uh, the New York Red Bulls will move forward to the Eastern Conference Finals for the second straight season, which is an accomplishment that has never been done before in team history. 3 p.m. on Sunday at Red Bull Arena. If you do not yet have tickets for this match, please pick them up. Uh, This match will sell out. The weather report looks to be like a great fall day. Warm for November, I believe 55 degrees and clear skies for Sunday. Uh, What can I say? This is an opportunity to... uh, Jump around, yell and scream for 90 minutes to show your team just how much you want to support them and get them one step closer to another appearance in MLS Cup. For Brian Lewis and Eric Giacometti, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to this edition of Seeing Red, and we will be back next week. Thanks so much, everyone. Good night.
This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.